Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Alisa Keaton. Always so thrilled to be with you. I love making these podcasts. I love spending the time to listen to what you guys are asking for, uh, who you want us to interview, and it is so fun to watch them all come to fruition. And so today, I have for you the infamous... Ian Crom. You guys, Ian Crom is has written a book, The Road Back to You. You all know him um, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, because I don't want to assume everyone knows what it is. Um, it is it's kind of like a personality test. And here's the thing: all these tests we do, different maybe different assessments you've taken over the year. Remember, there's just tests, they're just tools, they're just ways for us to drop the pin on what's going on with us. And I have really enjoyed the Enneagram. Um, I think it's really unique to itself. Ian's going to talk about it today, why it's so different than other um, other kind of assessments, the history of it, the, the our forefathers um, of the Christian faith, how they used it. And here's what I want to say before I let you go any further. Uh, <clears throat> we really believe that we aren't limited by a test here. So our whole team, our whole staff at Revelation Wellness has taken this this test and as we get new hires they they take the test not to put someone in a box we refuse to say well i'm an eight and i'm a three and that's just how it is no that's the beauty of an enneagram is it actually helps you continue to move on towards growth it identifies your weaknesses you actually are able to notice yourself more because of your your sin pattern your weaknesses and then in that we're provided growth and opportunity. So for example, you're gonna hear what I am today and, and I am an eight, which is a challenger, someone who takes the hill, someone who you know, keeps showing up day after day. But if I'm not capable, aware of myself, I will be a bull in a china shop and do lots of damage. The best eight matures and grows and moves towards kind of outside their eightness and moves towards another personality called the two, which is a very big, a good servant of people. It's a servant leader. And, and that is true. That's what kind of helps offset and, and bring the best out of my eightness. And then I just continue to grow in more Christ-likeness. So anyways, I just want to say that because I, I, I know when we put these things out there, sometimes people then use it as an identity or a label. No, 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 no. You are a child of God. <laughs> You're a child of God that supersedes. And Ian's going to tell us how all of us are a little bit of all these numbers. We just tend to, or all these personality traits, we just tend to have one strength that is the kind of our ride or die ticket. So it's really fascinating. You guys know we're, we're always thinking outside of the box here. Um, I thank you for being someone who's rooted in the Word of God, but also able to look at, um, have this curiosity and, and understanding there's mystery to how God has created things, and that we can eventually, with a spiritual, a spirit, an adventuresome spirit, explore some of these things. And please, of course, we're going to stay rooted in Christ always. So I wanted to say that, and there's one thing that Ian says that I just loved, and it was like the takeaway and the confirmation of everything we teach you. He will say this, it is absolutely the key to excess is self-awareness. Key to success. You, you cannot live the full, abundant, John 10, 10, joyful life if you don't have self-awareness. And that's really what this day is about. So enjoy, get your feet wet, understand if you've read his, the book, The Road Back to You, 
you know um, more, swipe up on the show notes to continue to um, find out more about Ian. He's got a new book coming out. You can follow him on all the Instagram places. He's got his own podcast, which is amazing and great content every week as well. All right. We hope this serves you well. And hey, guess what? Tomorrow, we have an amazing freebie launching. That's all I'm going to say. Come back to the podcast tomorrow. I am blood, sweat, and tears for this one. Labored for you guys. Come back for this free content tomorrow. You'll know what it is. Okay. Have a great day, time in listening to this podcast. And thanks again for making it possible. Donors and partners with us on mission. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Everyone, it is a special day around here. I'm pretty sure a majority of you, if you're Revelation Wellness instructors, you know this name and you know what we're going to be talking about today. Some of you may not. So let's just get right to it. Today we have the amazing author, host of the podcast Typology. I already got a lot of your attention right there. Um, Ian Morgan Cron is here. So Ian, welcome to this podcast. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you. That's always fun too. I just can't believe that I get to sit down with some amazing mind people that I just get to like ask the questions. So I want to jump in. I want to jump in today because as much as I'm aware of the Enneagram, I am not like the I feel like I'm going to learn today more about the Enneagram. So for those who are just hearing about it, because there are still people, don't you think there's still people? That, oh, yeah. yeah. Right? And don't you think there's a little bit in the church about people of faith have some hangups often a little bit around it? Have you found that? Or do you think they're more open than they have been in the past? They are far more open than they have been in the past. That's um, good. Yeah, I, I get very little, if any, pushback from people in churches, uh, conferences, and uh, though most of my work is corporate, um, in the corporate world, I, mm-hmm. I I still do lots of events in faith-based world, and awesome. people love it. Okay, so give us a little history. What got you to the Enneagram? Because it's been around a while, so let's talk about what the Enneagram is and then how you came upon it. Yeah, so the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system that teaches there are nine basic personality types in the mm-hmm. world, one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a way to cope and feel safe right? Mm-hmm. in the new world of relationships. Uh, I was first introduced to it in around 1994. Okay. Uh, I was on retreat in the mountains of Colorado, and in there, in the retreat center's library, was a book titled uh, "The Enneagram: A Christian Perspective" by Richard Rohr. Richard uh, Rohr, yep. And I was in graduate school to become a psychotherapist at the time, and I remember thinking when I opened up the book and read it, like thinking to myself, "Where has this been? Mm. Like, why was this not part of the curriculum?" <laughs> Uh, over the past year. And uh, mm. so I've been a fan ever since. Wow. Okay. So Richard Rohr, was the Enneagram around prior to Richard Rohr? Like oh, where yes. did it, where did it begin? Well, you know, it's hard to say, but okay. Richard traces it back to a monk, what mm-hmm. we call one of the desert fathers. Desert fathers. Yeah. Uh, fourth century, roughly. Um, uh uh, whose name I cannot remember now, um, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, okay. uh, 
there's a, a monk in that around that era where we see a sort of a primitive version of the Enneagram. And then over the millennia, it's it's evolved, particularly in the last 150 years as modern psychology has collided with it. So really, it's a potpourri of wisdom from mm. multiple sources. Mm, amen. It's been so good. I will personally tell you, uh, you guys may know Ian's book, The Road Back to You. Uh, I was introduced to your that the topic of an Enneagram because there's been a lot of personality tests out there, you disc tests and different things, find out your giftings and things like that. And I'd, I'd taken them all trying to figure out who am I? What am I living for? What's what, Explain me to me, God. What, what's going on with me? But it wasn't until I got the Enneagram, got your book. And I, I don't know about you, but I was the person or other people that do this. I pretty much took a test, the Enneagram assessment, found out what I think my number was, and just went straight to that chapter to read about myself. And what I love about a, it. Are you a three, seven, or eight? Oh my gosh. I'm an eight. Yeah. So eights are the ones, those three numbers, but mostly eights are the ones who go right to their chapter and say, forget it. I don't care about anybody else. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't have, I don't have time to read every other person's number. Okay. I have, you're right. I probably haven't still read everyone else's numbers, but I'm, I'm aware of each one. I've had our whole team. We have a staff of 25 people. They have taken the Enneagram. We have all are aware of each other in that way. So that's been, it's forced me in a great way to help make sense and celebrate those people with their giftings and what they bring to what I see is just the body of Christ. You really, yeah. It, <laughs> yeah though, though you have not read anything about their numbers. Well, no, I've read. <laughs> I just didn't read in depth. I, I haven't read in depth. Hey, the people of the world, the eights need to know, you know, how messed up we are. Like I'm very aware of how charge ahead, bully kind of a personality that I can be. So that's been a godsend. And so now, yeah. And, and an eight. So if you all know in our health, everyone on the Enneagram, right. Moves to another number in their health, right. In their best expression. And for an, for an eight, I, that would be a two, correct? Yeah. So you remain an eight. You'll always be an eight, mm -hmm. but when you're doing really well, Mm. You start to look, act, and feel like a healthy two, mm. right? What we call the high side of two. You would become more attuned to other people's feelings. Uh, you become warmer, more vulnerable, and open mm -hmm. about who you are with mm -hmm. people. Um, and uh, rather than defended and controlling yeah. and domineering. So, yes, mm -hmm. uh, you start to take on some of those better expressions of of what it means to be human. Okay. So go, can you give for the person who's just hearing about the Enneagram or wants to hear more about it, the nine personality types, just over sure. overview. Sure. So um, each of the types, this is important, has an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how that type acts, thinks, and feels. Mm. Okay. So that's one of the most powerful things about the Enneagram is that, it doesn't just tell you what you do, but why you do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. So when I go through these numbers, you're going to hear the word unconscious motivation or motivated by a lot. And it's important because this is what determines your type. It's what you're motivated by. It's yeah. not the traits. And here's yeah. why. It's because you're all nine numbers. You, you, mm. it, you know what I'm saying? In other words, you contain all nine numbers. It's There's just one 
mm-hmm. that you are dominant in, you default to. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's Good. go through the let's go through the numbers. Are you ready? Okay. Yep. Uh, ones are, ones are called the improvers. They used to be called the perfect. I, I used to call them the perfectionists, and they yeah. hated it. And yeah. then I thought, well, actually, that's a that's a good objection because really, you should be called the improvers. Okay. Yep. Ones uh, are motivated by a need to perfect themselves, others, and the world. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Twos are, are called the helpers. Uh, they are motivated by a need to meet the needs of others. Yeah. Threes are called the performers. They have a need to be successful, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, fours are called the individualists, and they have uh, their unconscious motivation is a need to feel special and unique. Mm. Fives are called the investigators, sometimes the observers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are motivated by a need to gather incredible amounts of information, particularly about niche subjects, as a way to fend off feelings of ineptitude and inadequacy, mm. and also to conserve energy. Hmm. Um, sixes are called the loyalists. Uh, we think there are more sixes in the world than any other type. Wow. We don't know that, we don't know that for sure, but that's what lots of teachers speculate. Um, okay. And uh, they have a need to feel safe, secure, and supported. Wow. Okay. Sevens uh, are called the enthusiasts. Uh, they have a need to, an unconscious, they're unconsciously motivated by a need to avoid um, psychological and emotional painful feelings. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, eights, you know, the challengers, you are unconsciously motivated by a need to assert strength and control over the environment and mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. in order to mask vulnerability and weakness in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and then nines are called the peacemakers. They are motivated by a need to avoid conflict at all costs to maintain connection with other people, mm. to keep the peace, uh, and to also maintain internal peace, not just external peace, but mm-hmm. this sort of inner calm and tranquility that they they so very neurotically value. Mm-hmm. Okay, so everyone who are listening, did, there's one thing about the Enneagram that I found fascinating uh, more than other assessment tests was was often that you find yourself more in what you your flaws are. You're able to identify more that than a lot of assessments celebrate your your successes, your strengths, and this is what you do. But it's actually you feel so found out. Like when you read the challenger stuff, I'm like, oh gosh, it just feels terrible. Yeah. Like it feels a little terrible. And then there's this motive to change, but there's also how do we celebrate within our Enneagram without feeling shame about who we are? Yeah. So the thing about the Enneagram is, is it tells you that what's best about you is what's worst about you. And what's worst about you is what's best about you. Right? <laughs> That's so true. Uh, and um, which is one of the reasons I That's prefer okay. it in my consulting work over things like Myers-Briggs or Colby mm-hmm. or Hogan or DISC or StrengthsFinder or, the, mm-hmm. or, you know, a multitude of other personalities sort of typing systems uh, or self-discovery systems. I, uh, I like the fact that it, it has, it shows you a transformational path 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't just say, this is who you are. That's good. Uh, it says, this is that's who you true. are. Oh, and by the way, here's your work. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That is, that is, you're absolutely right. Because uh, it's evol- ever evolving all the time. And then being in community with other people who are not your type is the best way to evolve. And it's, it's been the walk of humility continually to be taught by those that um, don't think like me. Uh, I think there's nothing kind of worse, more damaging than just surrounding myself with people who think just like me and have that same attribute. Yeah. You know, I work with a lot of, as I said, uh, CEOs, senior management teams, but particularly mm-hmm. with leaders of divisions, teams, companies, I'm always saying, one of the greatest mistakes you can make is to believe that your way of seeing the world is normal. Come on. Because that means every time you meet someone who sees the world differently, you will judge them abnormal, Mm -hmm. right? And if the Enneagram is right, there are nine kinds of normals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And once you know that, you can begin to appreciate difference, draw on the wisdom of each of Mm -hmm. those different perspectives. But as long as you think your way is the only way of seeing the world, then you are stuck in a silo, what we sometimes call an epistemic trough. You, mm. you're, you, you're in a truth trough. You can't see anything outside of your own truth. Oh. And the Bible would tell us, woe, <laughs> woe to you. Right. Not a good idea. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we have a community here of people that um, are motivated for change. So that's good. And the Enneagram, like I said, it moves us into transformation. Um, Often just with habits like uh, creating new habits of exercising, taking care of themselves, their mental well-being, their physical well-being, and all those parts of of who they are. So how would knowing themselves in the Enneagram um, help them to live a more holistic, integrated life? And, and maybe if you can make that any practical, maybe personality types of things they might be prone to or have a hard time with in change. Yeah. yeah. So my friend, Richard Rohr, uh, who in the years following did become a, a, a pal of mine. Uh, Richard always used to say that, you know, information is not transformation. That's right. Right. So, it's not enough to know yourself or to just uh, aggregate a lot of self-knowledge. Yeah. You, you really have to do something with that knowledge, right? Yeah. So as the Enneagram exposes your shadow side, right? Yeah. We yeah. have to own it, right? Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. begin to work towards um, our becoming the highest expression of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Uh, each of the Enneagram types is assigned one of the seven deadly sins. Okay. Uh, plus two. I don't know who added the other two, but you know, what the heck? They're actually <laughs> okay. pretty good. Okay. Uh, but, um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, not every, you know, I'm fully capable of committing all of these sins, right? Yeah. Uh, but there is for each type a dominant deadly sin. Okay. Right? Let's do them. What are and they? So, p- p- well, let me get to the okay. part of the, so part of the journey of transformation is to move from living under the tyranny of your deadly sin, right? Which mm-hmm. is the, this powerful, emotionally, emotional motivation 
that mm-hmm. you have lived with for so long that you don't even know it's governing your life from the shadows. Well, right? yeah. To learning how to recognize it, even in your own body, not yes, just mentally, right. but where it is in the body. Yeah. And then learn to move toward your type's virtue, which is the precise, precise opposite <laughs> of your deadly sin. Okay. Okay. So okay. let's go through them. I can do it really fast. Yeah. Love that. For once, the the, the uh, deadly sin is anger, which they and other people experience as sort of simmering resentment mm. that that the world is not as zealously concerned with perfecting and fixing everything, mm-hmm. and therefore they have to do it all. You know, they, and, and so there's this kind of when they're not in a good space, right? Yeah. That's where they go. And so what you feel sometimes from a one is this judgmentalism and criticalness that's kind of radiating off their bodies sometimes. You just feel it. Yeah, yeah. Now, the virtue they have to go toward is serenity, right? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, right? The courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. difference. Meaning just accepting that we live in a world of imperfection and to be at peace with that. Twos, uh, this surprises people, but they're called the helpers. and their deadly sin is pride. And the reason it is, is because twos in their most unconscious place uh, believe that they are more attuned to your needs than you are (laughs) and that they are going to address your needs, whether you ask them to or not. Okay. They're like the worst. That's the people that I'm your Holy spirit. I can decide these. I can see this for you. I'm the helper. I'm the yeah, real helper. Right, exactly. So <laughs> they have to move from pride to humility. Yeah. That's their virtue. That's now, humility for the two means I don't have all the time, treasure, talent, resources, or know-how to meet everybody's needs. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That's good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Threes uh, are the achievers. They Their deadly sin is deceit. It's really self-deceit um, because threes have this almost supernatural ability to uh, project an image that will win over the crowd, regardless of who the crowd is. They can match the expectations of the crowd, you know, Uh, and they can actually, even in real time, tweak their presentation based on looking in your eyes. They can tell what what you're approving of, not approving of, and and sort of tweak their self-presentation uh, so they have this chameleon-like quality when yep. they're not not in a great space. They have to move from deceit to authenticity, mm. uh, to being their true self, because mm-hmm. they have deceived themselves into believing <laughs> that the image they're projecting is who they actually are. That's good. Fours, good. fours. The deadly sin is envy. I'm a four, uh, okay. and envies are. Uh, where does that come from? For for the four, fours are always comparing themselves to other people uh, who they think have something that they're missing inside, that they're lacking something inside that everybody else seems to have. And what they envy is everybody else's, in their mind, normalcy, happiness, ease in the world, Mm. right? Mm. And so we can envy anything. What (laughs) we have to move toward is the virtue of equanimity, which is... Uh, learning because we're so emotional, frankly, mm. and emotionally all over the place, mm. learning how to uh, 
maintain emotional balance in the face of whatever life throws at us. Okay. Okay. Fives, the investigators, avarice. Sometimes we think of that as greed, but that's not what it means for fives. For fives, fives think that they have limited resources and that the world is a depleting and draining place. Okay. And so I'm laughing because I have like a five very close to me that is listening to this right now. And she knows who she is. Proceed. Ian. Okay. So there it's less about, they don't want more stuff. In fact, they're minimalists. Usually what they, what they really want to do is retain what little they have. Yeah. Okay. So they yeah. have to move from that scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. And that, that is the really the we would, some people would say is the virtue of generosity. It's be, yeah. really beginning to believe that the more I give, the more I'll receive. Yeah, that's good. Um, so for the five, that's the journey. So our sixes, okay. uh, their deadly sin is fear, and uh, these are the people who are the worst case scenario thinkers, right? Mm-hmm. So they live in this perpetual state of anticipation of something that's about to go wrong. Or mm-hmm. they awfulize, right, mm-hmm. is the word mm-hmm. we might use. Awfulize, I like that. They, they have to move toward the virtue of faith, right, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is believing that God, their higher power, who, you know, whoever, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to presume everybody is a Christian, right, mm-hmm. but they would have to move toward this belief that someone else has their back mm-hmm. who ha- has more power than they do, yep. right? Mm-hmm. For, for the seven, it's, it's a uh, gluttony. And what that means is they can, they're always in order to avoid painful feelings. They're always jamming as many pleasant, fun and uh, things into the present moment as they possibly can yeah. to escape pain, right? How yeah. much fun and happiness and unlimited possibilities in the future can I look forward to in order to you know, fend off feelings of anxiety uh, or, or, or fear. So for them, their virtue they move to on the transformational path is sobriety. We don't mean mm. that in terms of abstinence from substances so much as having singular focus, yeah. staying with what you're doing. They have monkey mind. They're yes. always uh, distracted, uh, looking to go from one fun thing to the next, right? Yep. Um, for the eights, lust is your deadly sin. And <sighs> that is so... not. Okay, yes. It, yeah, it's not necessarily in the sexual sense of the word. It's also not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> uh, because what, what, what eights want is immediate engagement with the environment and with other people. They, they, oh, I bet geez. you when you were a kid, your mom used to say, you're too much. Oh, you're yes. too much. Oh, yes. Um, and so you all live life with so much gusto. It's too much exercise. You can overplay, overeat, yep. overexercise, yep. over anything. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, the myth you have is of your own invincibility. Right? <laughs> now, the virtue you have to move toward really is innocence because a lot of the time, wow. what an eight experiences growing up is they had to grow up too soon for some reason. Yep. They lost that period of their childhood where they could just trust that somebody else was taking care of them mm-hmm. and decided, you know what, this is a might makes right world. And so I have to toughen up and make sure that no one ever controls me. Good guy. Right? Yeah. So they have to move on the transformational path. Uh, really, I think for the eight, the journey is toward that innocence. Recovering some of that innocence, vulnerability, and tenderness of the child. 
Nines, the peacemakers have to move from sloth. Sloth meaning not investing in their own self-development, becoming their own person, realizing their own voice. Uh, and they have to move toward um, really the, really the, I say the virtue would be diligence, right? Uh, it, yeah. It's It's learning to wake up, reclaim your life, find your spiritual authority, stand your ground, you know, become yep. your own person, express your own voice and um, live your one wild and precious life. So you see the Enneagram gives you these nine transformational paths and I'm giving you a 50,000 foot flyby. I'm not even explaining. Totally. Okay. Totally. So sorry yeah. that, that may have taken a while, but may, hopefully it was worth it. I think it's way worth it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So <laughs> no one could have seen the times we're living in right now, right? What is right. going on? How is, you know, it's a, again, a big flyby, but what is something that we're seeing maybe that is cohesive along all the, the inside knowing your Enneagram in the pandemic? Like what kind of things are we need to be aware of? How do we um, use this awareness in, in this time in the pandemic to really be our best self in this? Yeah, well, you know, the Enneagram is helpful too because it tells us we alluded to this earlier, where we go when we're doing really well. Mm -hmm. And it also tells us where we go when we're under a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. So that, that level of self-awareness is enormously helpful because it means once you know where you go in stress, how you start to act, think, and feel, Yeah, you can start to make different choices than you did before you knew where you went in stress, right? That's right. Because back then you were on autopilot. You just went That's there. right. Now, yeah. once you know where you go in stress, which the Enneagram describes for you, you can, when you're going, when you're halfway there, you can stop and go, That's wait a right. minute, do I want to swing at this ball again? Because every time I swing at this ball, it's a strike. You That's know what good. I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you're under stress, I, I know when I'm under stress, I know how I start to act, think and feel so that when it starts to happen, I can go red flag, Yep. red flag. Yeah. What do I need to reverse course? And I love that you you said a little bit too that it also it happens in our body. Like there are things that are whether it's just our heart rate increases, our breath gets shallow, oh, yeah. our hands get sweaty, or stomach turns. Like there's so many wonderful cues that have been built in as a seatbelt to help us before we get to that next right. place of acting upon. It's it's not a sin to feel stressed. No. It's what we do, and then we can backfire and all these right. cues that we have if we would tap into it. Is there anything you think that people being that self-awareness thing and their bodies, can you speak to that a little bit with the Enneagram? Yeah, sure. So um, in our workshops, you know, when I'm doing like two, three day workshops, mm -hmm. one of the things we talk about is somatic work, right? Yes. So, yes. so like for me, I know where envy lives in my body. Do you tell I me, know, tell me where. Oh, do you mind telling right us? At, right at the solar plexus. I yeah. can feel it rising like a helium balloon from wow. my belly button to my solar plexus. And when it does, I've now learned, ooh, wait it's a good. minute. Wait a minute. I know what mm -hmm. thoughts, I know the, I know the, the loop of the narrative. Mm -hmm. the, yeah, the story yep. that starts, that launches, the movie yeah. I start to make in my head. When uh, when envy is starting to take over, right? Uh -huh. um, a two I know um, 
uh, actually who's not very self-aware. So here's what it looks like when it's not self-aware. Rather than express her own needs for love and appreciation and attention, which is what they want, mm-hmm. she's always injured. Like she always has some injury. She's always got, oh, my hip hurts or my leg, mm. you know, my, my nose, out, whatever it is. Mm. And I know what's happened is, is she's somaticizing uh, her need. Wow. So ra- because what she wants someone to do is give her love, attention, approval, and appreciation right. by saying, oh, what's wrong with you? What's, why are you limping? But she's the- a two. And so a two is helping people, right? They're the helper yes. that's looking to be helped. Is that kind of but, what you're saying? Yeah. So the two wants to meet the needs of others while at the same time refusing to acknowledge that they themselves have personal have needs. needs. And wow. so rather than ask for love, attention, and appreciation, mm-hmm. this is like an indirect attempt, to right? Mm-hmm. Somatically, right? Wow. And I'm not saying I'm not saying they do this, they don't do this consciously. But mm-hmm. as a two grows in self-awareness, they might say, all right. Am I starting to kind of work a program here? Am I trying to manipulate people into giving me the love and attention and approval I need by somaticizing my pain? Wow. You know, ones can feel clenched at jaws and shoulders Mm -hmm. when when that Mm -hmm. anger and resentment Mm -hmm. comes up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I could go on and on. So, yes, somatics are important. That's huge. Um, With people that are you know, we, we've said self-awareness self-awareness <laughs> don't you think don't you kind of go it's one of those things will you just do self-awareness w- what do you think people if they did they would do it they would be self-aware what do people need to do to become more self-aware are there practices or the things they can be thinking to cue them up to then you know enter into oh here's what's going on yeah so let me just start with a very bold statement i would okay. say the key predictor of success in life is self-awareness I would agree a hundred percent that in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your romantic partnerships, whatever it may be, self-awareness is the key predictor of success. Mm-hmm. Now, what is self-awareness? Uh, in part, it's a- another phrase you might give to it is self-knowledge, you know, just knowing who you are. Um, so self-awareness by definition, let's say is the ability to in the moment recognize how you're acting, thinking, and feeling how, mm-hmm. your personality is affecting other people Mm. and and knowing how to regulate it in real time Mm. so that you're not just like an eight blowing through crowds of people knocking them over and we see if you have self-awareness you can go "Uh uh-oh yeah right now i have pulled out my big guns i want to (laughs) i or i want to and i know how this will end yep and you're able to self-regulate Yes. And become a better expression of yourself in that moment. Right. So good. You would move toward your virtue of moderation. You'd yes. say, whoa, back it down. Yep. Back it down. So, you know, uh, self-awareness, I think, is achieved when you have cultivated an inner neutral witness that can actually stand back and observe yourself without oh. any, without judgment, com, without any judgment. It has to be with complete compa- co- yes. compassion, a non-evaluative spirit. You just step back and go, oh, look what I'm doing. That's so good. Yep, oh, we talk about this a lot. Yes. And, and do I want to keep doing this? Because I know how this, I know how it ends. Right. It, you know, right. do I want to? As this envy comes up, I know how this is going to make me start to act, think, and feel. Yeah. Do I want to do that? 
Yeah. No, I think I'd rather live in equanimity where I'm really even able to celebrate the successes of my enemies. Yeah. Wow. That, you know what I'm saying? Isn't that like but, the full, yeah, full expression of health? Uh, oh, that would be unbelievable. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that as I'm hearing this, for the moms of kids, how any, any thoughts on helping them to create I didn't have that. I would just say growing up, didn't have any place for self-awareness. If you had a feeling, okay, get over it. You know, it was just, you just managed, you just got by. You did not have a, a time to reflect or think about it. I think to myself, timeouts, man, if those were really useful, like if people actually use it as a timeout to help their child reflect, to help them find their words, to help them find whatever it is. I didn't have that. And I'm tear guilty. Didn't have that to even teach my child when she was younger and now that I know it for myself, it's like I'm retroactively trying to teach her these things as she's heading off into adulthood. But are there things, because uh, I know we have a lot of moms who listen, things that they can be doing to help their children with self-awareness when they have a, when they're in one of their deadly sins? Uh, the thing I always tell parents first and foremost is do your own work. Amen. <laughs> Wow, uh, <laughs> so true. Right? I mean, do no, your own so work. True. And, uh, you know, I, I never encourage people to use the Enneagram with children until they're at least in late adolescence. Okay. Why is that? Um, because, you know, we, we, we know that the nuts and bolts of personality are in place by the time a child is five or six. Mm -hmm. But it's like wet cement. You know, you know like when you paint a yeah. wall and, and you got the swatch, right? And then you paint the wall and you look at the swatch and you go, they look nothing alike. <laughs> and the reason is, is because the paint's not dry. Dry. Yet, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So similarly with personality, until a child is about 19, 18, 19 years old, it's still wet paint. You don't know what color it is yet. It's good to know. Okay. So you, you really can't, it's, it, you know, by way of analogy, you really don't know their Enneagram type. Okay. Uh, like Good a 15 year old is trying on a new personality every week just to see how that it is goes. so true. That is so, so true. I always tell them, don't, don't mess that you'll screw up your kids. Just work on yourself. Do your own work. Wow. That's so good. All right. Well, Ian, I, we are just blessed so much by this conversation and I know you have a few things that um, are coming out that I want people to hear because I want people to continue to learn more about this and I, I again I know that I know that there's a, a good group of people here that have maybe heard about the Enneagram um, and with all the things we're teaching here with self-awareness and modulation and getting in your body and very somatic kind of stuff here I just think this could be profound for them so what do you have going on there's a new course or something about you've released it already or is it coming up it's coming up. And, I, and I, so I am so excited about this. So um, I've created a new course. The title of it is True You, mm -hmm. uh, an a deeper exploration into your Enneagram type. And what makes this course unique is rather than giving you uh, an overview of all nine types, it, you can actually handpick or cherry pick which types you want. And I spend 90 minutes teaching on each type. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, a course on the Enneagram, because there are nine numbers, you might get 15, 20, 25 minutes on a mm -hmm. type. Mm -hmm. This is a deeper dive for people who kind of know their number and want to go, okay, what's, let's go the next level down and go mm -hmm. deep in. And then that means if you're married, to, you're an eight, let's say you're married to a six, uh, you may buy the eight and six courses. Right. Or you may buy yeah. the 
five, whatever. So anyway, I'm really excited about it. People can go to typologyinstitute.com. Okay. That's T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y institute.com. And just sign up for the wait list, right? Um, okay. And they'll know, then we'll, we'll send them an, an email when the course has gone live uh, before anyone else knows about it. I have an assessment that I honestly think is the most accurate assessment for the awesome. Enneagram available. Um, I won't go into my feelings about most Enneagram assessments that are out there. Uh, Can you give us and, one one word for those assessments out well, there? A lot of them, just this, put it this way, don't have the scientific um, validity uh, okay. and reliability of accurate resulting okay. uh, that mine has. And awesome. So that's called the IEQ-9. You can go to my website, Ian Morgan Cron, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N.com mm-hmm. and hit the tab for IEQ-9 and learn about that. Obviously, The Road Back to You, my book, mm-hmm. and uh, my podcast, Typology, which has just recently hit 12 million downloads. Yeah, so you did. Coming, that's coming along. Incredible. When did you start the, the podcast? Oh, three years ago. Only three years ago. Good job. Well, way to go. Well, Ian, thank you for helping us make sense of our crazy, um, for helping <laughs> us to feel uh, like there is hope. There is uh, things that we can oh, do to work on ourselves. there's always hope. There's Amen. always hope. Change, change is inevitable. And, That's right. And uh, you just get to be smart about being intentional about the change you want to bring about. Let's do it. Such a time as this. Let's do it, everyone. All right. Thank you, Ian, for being here today. Thank you.